No, it really is a privilege to be here. Um, and like I said, we've had a fantastic um, last kind of four or five weeks. Um, who who can re- who can remind me what was the theme of last week's Sunday evening discussion? Either the question or the overarching theme. Any takers, Sarah? I'm looking at you. Normally, you're the one that comes to my rescue. But if there's anyone else, <laughs> there, are there are prizes. There are prizes. Chris has got a prize. It's upstairs and kids rock. <laughs> Thank you, Rochelle. Free water. <laughs> Free water. Free water. Or chocolate brownie. That's right. We've been looking at we've been looking at identity in Christ, and like we were talking about last week, understanding our our identity in Christ is absolutely foundational for when we start looking at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, because it really is what will determine whether we're ministering out of a place of out of security, and that our ministry serves one another and serves the body as opposed to being self-serving. Um, and so, um, excuse me once again. That was Christmas. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry, I didn't realise there was a technical order. <laughs> sorry, can't help myself. All right, guys, got to get serious now. Got to get serious. Got to get, got to get spiritual, right? Um, but no, like I said, this... This area, this area of identity is so essential in understanding the gifts, but actually understanding what real Christianity looks like and our ability to be able to receive from God and minister to one another hinges on being secure in our relationship with Christ. So we're going to continue on that theme tonight, um, but tonight we're going to be looking um, through, through the lens of the body of Christ, and we're going to be looking at the importance of the body and then how that flows through into understanding our own individual role. Um, so um, I'm not sure if the question's on the board. Um, do you have that, Kathy? I'll help to set the scene. So this is what you'll be discussing in your groups um, afterwards. We've got here, why is it so important that we see the role of the, uh, that we understand the role of the body of Christ when it comes to understanding spiritual gifts? Um, so we're going to be talking about um, what it means to be part of a body, and then what it means to function as individuals with our own individual gifts within that body. Um, so, yeah, so that's us for the evening. So if you've got a Bible, you can, uh, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And I'll just read, I'll just read that up for us. All right. For even as the body is one... And yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body, It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. If they were all one member... Where would the body be? 
But now there are many members but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weak are weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honourable, on these we bestow more abundant honour, and our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honour to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honoured, all the members rejoice with it. Powerful passage, eh? Massive passage. Um, And so we're going to do our best to get through this tonight. We may um, just get to verse 1. We may may do the whole thing. We'll see see how we get on. Um, But in verse 12 it says this, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, uh, a, a one body, so also is Christ. And what struck me when I first um, w- was reading this verse was right at the start, it says, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members. God's first intention in first place, he, he kicks it off, he doesn't say, and even as all the individuals that make up the body, he says this, he says, For even as the body is one. Um, so I'd just like to, to open things up to our, um, to our panel, who you're very well acquainted with now, um, to just look at that. What does it mean for the body to be one? And why is it so important that we see as a body first as opposed to just individuals? Takers. Any takers? <laughs> All right, yeah, I'll go ahead Cool. So yeah, that's such a massive passage to start with, eh? As the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So when I first read this, I went, I automatically read the body of Christ into it before I got to the part where it says, so also is Christ, because I know, I've read it before, obviously, so I know that he's talking about the body of Christ, and I go, but he's actually talking about a physical body. He says, the body a.k.a. a human body, is one. And he's giving this picture of a body so that you know that he's referencing this one which has many parts. And it's so interesting to me that he says, so also is Christ. And he's not saying, so also are you in Christ. He's actually talking about Christ. Like this is the story of Christ, right? This is his story and we're a part of it. And so for me, I just feel like this foundational thing where he says, you're one first and many afterwards is, a, is this foundational truth that if you go, I identify, because we're talking about identity, I identify with Christ, I'm in Christ, and everything else comes from that. It's such a healthy perspective. So for me, I, I think about this in terms of this love position, and this picture that God gave me was... Um, with children, I'll just go straight into this, um, where let's say, for instance, I have um, my children, they're running around and uh, you know, making a bit of a scene. I feel like there's 
two ways that I see people will approach that. One person might approach them and tell them to be quiet just because they don't like the noise, and they might be thinking about that for their own for their own means or for their own gain. Or another person might come along and go, "I care about you, and I care about the greater the greater picture as well." Especially in an environment where there's a lot on offer, you know. And I feel like this love position is this foundational one which tends to life, whereas the self position never does. It's isolated. It's separate, and it isn't leading into Christ, it's, it's from a different position. And for me, it's so, it, it's, a, it's a one-two where he says it because he goes, we're in Christ, or he, so he says, this is, this is what Christ is like, one body. And then from there he goes, and from that, you're individuals, many members with different functions. And so he's not afraid to talk about diversity. I mean, the title in this passage is Unity and Diversity in One Body. So once you understand that it's Christ's story, you're in Christ, period, now there's the freedom to be different in that. Cool, cool. I love what you're saying about, you know, like a situation with with kids, you know, and even you're talking about discipline, right? And I think um, to me that that one body perspective is so different to being individual members or even individual families, right? You know, because if if we really are, if we're one and we're one body, we're one family, then then why shouldn't someone be able to bring a word of, of discipline or correction for someone else's child because this isn't just about our family, your family. This is about us all as a body maturing and growing. But here's the most important thing, I think, is that, like you're saying, if, if we don't have a body-first perspective, we'll discipline out of our lack trying to modify someone else's kid's behaviour because they are causing havoc out in the auditorium, as opposed to you see the potential in them... <laughs> And you're devoted and committed to seeing them be all that they can be, hey? You know? And let me um, throw this other scripture in there, which for me just really emphasizes that. And, and we've spent some time chewing over Ephesians. But if we go back to Ephesians momentarily, 5.29, and it says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and his bones. And he says, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so when we really get it that we are one, it's not a competition. We're identifying in Christ that your win is my win, that we're all on the same team. It's, it's, it changes everything. Because then all of a sudden I realize that if something's done to you, it's done to me. If you suffer, I suffer. And that's what this passage is talking about, that this is... We have to see this. We really have to see this. That's what really struck me about the positioning of this piece is he's just gone on to introduce the gifts in the first half of this verse. And without understanding that we all belong together in the body, that has a lot of potential for division, competition, and security. So there's actually a really small part of this book, actually, which is about naming the gifts and what they are. And then he goes straight on to say, so hang on, before we go any further, yeah. just remember that you're all part of one thing. And I think that's so important. The Lord's been talking to me a bit about the difference between knowing you have a place 
which is the belonging place, versus feeling like you've got to find a place. So when you're, as soon as you're born into God's family, you're part of the body. You are. Whether you know it or not, you are. And so it's not about scurrying around. This whole series isn't about helping you to find your place in the body. You do belong in the body. And this is about helping us to understand how the body works and feel more comfortable, potentially, in our place in it. I think in that you'll find who you are in him. It will be discovered because it's a gift that's given. It's a spiritual gift. It's not a physical gift. And so that will express itself or he will express himself. The gifts are given by the Holy Spirit as he sees fit. So it's not looking for me to see fit. It gets a little dysfunctional when it's like that. But let's touch on something you said, Chris, the, um, which is why the identity factor is so important. And we started on that really um, last week, <coughs> perhaps a little bit more in depth. And it's so key that we, we are, lay hold of this, that we pursue love, we pursue Father. You must reveal this identity in me. It's a very thing that uh, Eve and Adam were challenged with right at the beginning. Their identity. Not only their identity, God's identity. Did God really say that? Is God really like that? So it's questioning, sowing doubt which then sows doubt into who they are and whether they actually can rely on who God is. Now God's the same yesterday, today and forever. He never changes. There's two things. He cannot lie and he does not change. So God never changed. But it questions, for them, a question of who they are in God. When you think about it, the fact that Adam was deceived... Oh, sorry, Eve was deceived, Adam chose. Once, once Eve actually made the choice, Adam hadn't at that point. What's needed for someone who has broken relationship with God and sin, excuse me, sin has now entered in? What's needed? The sacrifice. Who's the only one who is able to, to pay that price Adam at that point he hadn't sinned and you touched on it last week I heard you Chris say um, and, and correctly this is the first Adam and the last Adam this is the last option there's not like a third and a fourth another, another shot at this so what the first Adam didn't the second the last, sorry, the last Adam did. He chose in knowing his identity in God, but for the joy set before him, he endures the cross because he's got sight of something greater. So he knows who he is and in whom he is. So when it comes to the point of what you just said, no man hates his own body, that's an identity place. And unfortunately, a lot of people do hate themselves that don't have identity of who they are yeah. so then becomes a struggle to find 
who I am and how I fit into this body that you were just talking about. Where's my place? Because I don't know who I am. And I'm looking and I'm searching and what I've come into the kingdom and with a mindset that's of the world that I will now try and apply a, a worldly mindset into my Christian life, it doesn't work. So the identity is not found in the world. It's actually found in Christ, which must be revealed. So. And I love what you're saying, Joe, just before. There's a big difference between finding our identity in Christ and finding our identity in the gifts of Christ. Yeah. And the individualism or the individualistic um, role that we play in the body, yeah, you know, and I, I just feel like that's was such a fantastic like point to make, you know, because I, I think um, imagine what that would look like that in coming in here we weren't coming in to discover our gifts to find our place to fit, to find how we fit in, yeah. but coming in here because we do fit in, that's right. and then naturally playing our role, you know, it's a it's a totally different way of doing things. Yeah, and you can think of it in a natural family. So before a baby's even born, it belongs. In the parent's mind, the baby belongs. The baby doesn't know what a family is even, but it belongs positionally. And then the maturing process is where it grows, as you say, to maturity, and then it starts to play a role in the family. But the playing a role comes from the belonging, not the other way around. And let's be honest, like, is Levi in danger whatsoever about finding his identity in the works that he does to serve the family? <laughs> you know? like, it just seems so outrageous that a child would feel secure because they do chores. You know, like, and so when you put it in a natural context, it's like, oh, that's just so obvious, you know. But actually, a lot of that mentality has affected the way that we minister to one another in the body thinking that it's our ministry that makes us important. Yeah. It's not. It's the fact that we're in Christ and we play a role and we, are, we add value to one another, not because of our gifts, but because of being in Christ. You know, And I think that, to me, then, once again, like we've talked about, sets such a fantastic foundation to looking at gifts that then express themselves in, in individual ways. So... Cool. Should we, should we keep moving through the, the passage? So we've, so we've touched on the first line. For, for even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the uh, uh, sorry, I'm just, and all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body. So also is Christ. For by, all right, verse thirteen. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we're all made to drink. Of the one spirit. Does anyone have any thoughts about what does it mean to drink of the one spirit and not to be um, Jew or Greek, slave or free, but one in Christ? I'll touch on that. <coughs> the, um, come on, open up. Good old technology. Paul was showing off his technology to me in the cafe the other day, <laughs> telling me how I need the app, how amazing it is. <laughs> I wasn't sold. <laughs> I'm not sure that I was showing off. <laughs> I think I was just sharing something exciting. You know, Jesus said that, um, he says, come to me, you are thirsty, and drink. And 
Then it goes on and it says, and of this he was talking of the Holy Spirit, who he had not yet given, for he had not yet been glorified. And so we're reading this scripture uh, post Christ speaking, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit of whom we would drink. So we are all now drinking of the one Spirit. This, as we said, is the Holy Spirit who gives the gifts according to his good pleasure. Why? Because it is in the Father's design that he would work the body and assemble the body the way that he would. Because he knows. He knows what's best for me and how best for me to fit in the body and to function (coughs) alongside everyone else. So it's the Holy Spirit who's doing this, um, this amazing work that is in us and that we get to be or get to be a part of. But if we don't have sight of that, we're going to get default to what you're saying before, where we now start to think that we've got to actually give the spirit a hand. And we start now looking for a ministry gift or something that we can function in, or we may recognize the gift we have and now think it's all about me actually having to function that rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to actually bring it to place. Now he says that this is a mystery. You know, there are mysteries of God that are being revealed. And he says that in the Old Testament there was a veil over their eyes. And it had to be this mystery that we are now live that we now live in had to be kept hidden from them. Though the prophets were receiving sight of it and were speaking and were looking for something that was to come, it wasn't for them. Because it says in one Corinthians it says if they had have known, they would not have crucified him. But that veil had to be put in place for your sake and for my sake. Because Christ had to be crucified, had to die, had to rise again in order for that mystery to be revealed that it's no longer just one race. It is now us all, no longer Jew, no longer Greek, no longer Gentile, no longer Scythian, no, mar- no longer barbarian. No longer male, no longer female. <gasps> Just broke down all the taboos. Why now? Because he's talking about a life of the spirit that's at work and this one spirit which we must all drink of and that he puts the body together. <clears throat> so just when it's time for us all to go home, my feet, which now remain relatively inactive, just get up and start walking out. The rest of the body doesn't have a hissy fit about it. It just knows its function because the head is in control and the head is moving. So the gifts given of the Holy Spirit rejoices when someone else who is in the Spirit stands up, rises up and and ministers within a gift that is given of the Holy Spirit and doesn't think anything other than bodies working. How wonderful. Or someone speaks and ministers from the gift that's within him, and the body sits and goes, yes, and receives, and doesn't think anything odd about it, because there's one spirit at work within everyone. Mm, that's massive, aid. And I think to me it's, like when he says we're all made to drink of one spirit, you know, to me the drinking speaks of our life source, hey, you know? And imagine if we were, if, if our life source became the praise of one another based on our ability to perform more of our gifts, you know? And that, say, for example, sharing on a Sunday morning, 
share and then just looking around for uh, where, where are my compliments at? <laughs> you know? like, like to me, that's, that's, dr- that's drinking, whether it's outwardly expressed or not. It can just be really subtle, you know, that you, yeah. you, you need the, the praise and the recognition before you start to function or if you, you function and you don't get that, then you don't do it again, you know. And so to me, we're, we're made to drink of the one spirit. He becomes our very life source and being secure in him, we can then minister without needing anything from one another, you know. Um, and I think to me that's a, that's a really healthy place because we need to be to each other like more than just, um, how do I say, For, in, in a family, I need to be to Levi more than just um, someone who goes along with everything that he says. I have to be able to, to discipline um, in a healthy way, you know. We need to be able to have conversations with one another that sometimes people might not, not like what we, what we have to say. But if we're drinking of our own success and of our ministry gifts and of um, our, our own, yeah, uh, um, what it is that we have, then, then we're not drinking of, of the real true life source. Eh? So. Um, for me, that's that passage where Christ says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, by your love one for another. And I feel like when we're living from this body first reality, how can you not live like that? Because you are able to go there because you realize that you're the same. You're not going, oh, well, you're doing this thing that annoys me, therefore I need to tell you. Or there's this problem that you've got. Love is the foundation where you go, if that was me, what would I want? I'd need to be told, you know, I'd love to be told because this is this is what the body does for itself, right? The foot doesn't compete against the other foot, you know. If this one's faster, it's going to be better. No, no, it's not. I love this, um, for me, this the massive part of this, and I feel like it's, it, like he's really building on the first verses, uh, the first verse, the second one is going, let me emphasize that again, just in case you didn't get it, we're talking about a spiritual reality here, this has got nothing to do with the flesh at all, it doesn't matter where you've come from, what your background is, anything of the earth, you know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, it's, it's just another level completely, and, you know, for me, it, it goes back to you know, there was this massive day in the beginning of the book of Acts where the Jews received the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and that was massive, you know, and everyone's like, yes, this is, this is the, a big deal, and it really was a big deal. And then not long afterwards, Peter receives this revelation, and he's led to the house of Cornelius, where, as it turns out, God is absolutely for the Gentiles as well. And so these people that have been living for so many thousand years where they're God's chosen people and, you know, absolutely still true, God's like, actually, I'm speaking about something greater right now and this is for them as well and you guys need to come into this. And so this, which I imagine was probably freshly written after this whole experience where, let me remind you, this isn't something just for Jewish people. This isn't something for any anyone of genealogy or ranking or significance. It's for everyone. Because it's a spiritual reality and you can come in because of what's been done into this one body and live from that. 
The other thing that struck me about this piece was that if there's also a sense here that we can get tripped up by thinking first and foremost as of the body as a relational concept, which it absolutely is. But what he's saying here is, as Sam said, your life sources from the spirit. You are absolutely to have relationship. That's what discipleship is about, big, big part of how we grow. But when, we have, when we're judging our belonging or our place in the body by relationship, we can trip each other up because that's when we start feeling insecure, looking for approval. Whereas when we judge our belonging by the fact we're of one spirit, it also enlarges our perspective, I think. So I'm as connected to Paul, who wrote this, in the spirit as I am to Nick, who I'm married to. He prayed for me thousands of years ago. So I think it just, again, it just enlarges our perspective to say relationships absolutely important for discipleship, but the body is much, much, much bigger than the people that I can have relationship with. And I feel to me that flows on really well to the next verse, verse 14, which says, For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, Because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. Hey, you know? And so interesting the, interesting the response that Paul pulls out, probably because it was a common response. He says, you know, um, um, uh, if the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not part of the body. And that can be an easy, or that can be an attitude that's present. Hey, because I'm not responsible for preaching and teaching then I actually don't really have a role in the body you know because I'm not a discipleship group leader I just kind of attend services but I'm not really part of the body and Paul's saying here um, it's, it's interesting he doesn't say yeah you're right you're, you're not really until you start serving you know <laughs> he says um, um, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body Interesting, eh? So Paul doesn't define being a member of the body by your ability to serve or do things or your investment in the body. He sees being part of the body as the fact that you've been born again, you've been born into a family and you belong based on, like we've talked about, drinking of one spirit, being of one heart, being of one mind. But even even in this, that way he says you're, not, you're no less a part of the body, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're invested and are fulfilling your role in the body. And I feel like, to me, that's, that's a really key thing to, to think about as well. So, yeah, I mean, he, he goes on, obviously, as we read, and you'll read, if you look over it again, that he then starts to speak about all different parts of the body and that it has um, some presentable, some not presentable, and all the rest of it, and looking at it as a physical body in a whole, but like I said, realising that... He's expressing this as Christ, as the ministry of God, with Christ as the head, and us functioning as different parts of the body. And so no longer thinking myself, well, I'm a toenail, what, what the hang am I? What, what? Nobody says, what a beautiful toenail you are. <laughs> you know? I just don't. Yet we do it. This is why we come back to this whole thing of of identity. If I identify myself as in Christ, as in Him, which is a revelation that must be received within the heart, I'm still stuck with my own identity 
You're ugly. You're useless. You're stupid. You're dumb. You'll never amount to anything, which is an identity that's gained in the world. So that when someone says, and I hear with, with my physical ears, I oh, know you, you're made whole in, in Christ. The spirit is warring with inside. Now, I know that's supposed to be true, but I don't think so. Because I haven't got eyes to see. If I haven't had sight of who God says I am. This is why identity is so important. Satan will jump straight on top of that. You know, good. You know, who do you think you are? Well, he says I'm son of God, and I believe it. What he showed me this morning, him, Christ, adorning his bride, just draping the sash over shoulders, over the arms, wrapping around her. Because remember, he's building the church, and then turns her around for everyone to see. My bride, do you you not think, do we not think that Jesus is enthralled about us? I mean, obviously we are enthralled about him and everything he's done, but he's enthralled about us. He's gone to the cross for us, and he sees us the way that he's made us, and that the saints of old, the men and women of faith are cheering us on as we find our identity is in him so that we can actually fulfill who we are destined to be and made to be from before the foundation of the world. Whether we're functioning in ministry gift or mercy gift or an office gift, those become irrelevant. Because just as you touched on, we read on it, it says, let me show you a more excellent way. Because you, I'll use you as the example, you may be... <laughs> the holy, you are a holy toenail. <laughs> you know what I mean? But because you are secure in your identity in Christ, love that is straight from the throne of grace exudes from your heart and ministers to those around you. Though you may not stand up the pulpit and preach a word to thousands or tens or anyone, but fulfilling who you are called to be and the gifting of the Holy Spirit that rests within you. And I might stand up and try and wax lyrically and speak and with all the effort that I put into it and all the study that I've got, and I managed to get a whole bunch of letters behind my name through um, Bible college or whatever and managed to somehow manage to get a bunch of sermons together and people go, wow, he knows a lot. But have not love. I have completely missed the mark and missed the very essence of what he's doing. That his spirit within us, his love within us, then manifests and exudes out and administers a gift, which is his spirit. Amen. (laughs) So um, that's great. I was um, just thinking about that where it says, in fact, the body is not one member but many. And I love that from the foundation that he's just laid, where he's identified that we are in the body, regardless of function, we're not talking about function, we're talking about identity, we're in this body, he now goes, and, and there's a function in there as well. You're not going to look like everyone else and that's okay. And, he's, and, and it's, the foundation's already been laid, so it's safe to go there, right? 
because we're not coming into the body because of what it is that we do. We're not going, okay, I'm a hand, where's a body? I need a body so that I can be a hand. He says, actually, you're in Christ. Christ is the body. It's his story, remember? And, um, you know, one of the things that I was just thinking about as I was chewing over this this week is this this love theme and this identity theme you know I I feel like I get this for myself but I wonder if I afford other people the same generosity you know what I mean so this is this is one of the this is the thought that I just want to throw out there and we can chew over this a little bit so I know that I'm in the body of Christ and I my function is is secondary and kind of I don't really know what that is. It'll just turn up. It's not a not a big deal. Oh, well, it is a big deal, but you know. Um, but what about when there's another church community, for instance, that looks different than we do? Do we go? They're in Christ first, and their function looks different second, or do we go? You're not doing what we're doing, therefore. <coughs> Are you in Christ? Do you know what I mean? Because I feel like it's easy to go and, 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 and not afford people the same luxury or generosity as Christ affords us. Because what I feel like the, the foundation that Paul's trying to lay is this, let's assume that everyone's in. Let's give people the benefit of the doubt because love believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. It doesn't... If it goes there where it starts to ask hard questions, it can go there because it's already afforded people the benefit of the doubt. It's not assuming they're not trying to expose that. It assumes they are and will run the risk of being hurt itself. You know what I mean? And, and living from that. And so I feel like when I read that, like I absolutely get that it's really, you know, I'm kind of taking a sidestep there to go here, but I feel like it's still the same it's the same message from a different perspective. I mean, that's, as I read this next bit, related to that, it inspires a, a holy fear, I think, because yeah. it says, actually, this is God's body designed by God. Yeah. And so there are two postures here, effectively. One is to say, oh, well, I don't really matter, the posture of insecurity that yeah. says, because I'm not like you, yeah. I'm not a part of this. Or the other one that says, because you're not like me, you're not a part of this. Yeah, that's right. And through the scripture, the number of times it says things like, just as God designed, just as God intended, gave me a similar thought, that if I come against you or look at you through the eyes of rejection or not belonging, I'm actually coming against him because he has placed us micro and macro and designed us as he intended. So yeah, a bit of holy fear actually of going, I need to check my heart on that sometimes. Uh, the body too, I think we all realise, doesn't exist in 2019. I mean, 2019 years. <laughs> so the body's been for 2,000 odd years in the context of since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the truth of the life of Christ formed within me and now living and outworking in a walk of love 
won't go there. It won't look at another church and go, you're not this, you're not that, because that's not love. The, the essence of love will be that I will walk in love anyway. I won't have to try and define it. Love is not self-seeking or self-serving. It's not trying to, I'm love, by the way, I'm over here. <laughs> Let me show you what love is. <coughs> you just pop your own balloon by doing it. You'll just be it. Out of that may come opportunity as you rub shoulders with others and dialogue and talk and <coughs> speak of spiritual truths that may reveal something within someone else. But the essence of love still would be won't be self-seeking. It's, it's interesting. When, <coughs> when we were doing the $10 giveaway at the petrol stations, <laughs> I ran into a, um, a guy, and he was an older guy, and um, I said, I you know, introduced myself and said hi and just said, look, yeah, we're giving, um, you know, giving $10 away for petrol, and he wanted to ask, you know, why on earth we were doing that. He wasn't, he didn't want to take the money. He was, he's like, no, I don't need it. Give it to someone who needs it. Um, and then when he heard that we were p- part of the Rock Church, he said, oh, my, my son goes to church. He's part of a rise. They're the competition. <laughs> and, and, and I said to him, I said to him, oh, um, uh, they're actually not the competition at all. <laughs> and he's like, yes, they are. I know what you guys think. <laughs> Interesting, eh? You know, and I think it's it's these kind of mindsets and attitudes that have somehow, you know, like um, <coughs> s- snuck in. And I think while this guy was probably a little bit, I think he had gone through some stuff in the church, so he was probably a little bit bitter and frustrated and, and anti everything. You know, um, I think that the, like you're saying, Chris, the reality can still exist where we would. Um, to me, that, that like. Jesus was a real expert at judging correctly, eh? You know, making righteous judgment. And I think, in, in, my, in my mind, it's about what our attitude towards others looks like. You know, is it from a place of self righteousness, whether it be as a as a the body as a whole, whether it be individuals within a body that we see ourselves as more important than others, whereas actually Jesus says, see others as more important than yourselves, you know, and so if there's another member in the body, or if there's another church community who perhaps aren't living up to everything that's available in Christ, to me the question is, what's our attitude towards them, you know, because if we're in covenant, we'll pray for them, you know. We'll have we'll have a coffee catch up with our friends that are part of that community, or make connections, not so that we can teach them, but so that we can walk with them, and be a part of their lives, and seek truth together. You know, um, as opposed to throwing stones across the other side of the motorway and saying, you know, oh, you guys are so missing it because we're looking at this and you're looking at that, and you've got it all wrong. You know. And so I think to me, Jesus is able to say to the Pharisees who are the top dog religious leaders, the church leaders of the day, you brood of vipers. Why? Because he was the one who was love in the flesh. That It wasn't that he was reacting out of a sense of self-righteousness, but actually he was bringing a word of healthy discipline and the hope of them coming into everything that they could possibly be. And so me, to me, that's the, that's the big thing. You know, it's what does our attitude towards others look like? Because there's, there's growth and opportunity for us as a body. There's things that we could be in but we, that we aren't in yet that come in the future. And there are things for other church communities for them to come into as well. You know? So while we're all growing, we need to be able to learn how to judge and discern accurately that 
in some instances that does look like being able to disagree and bring a different perspective but in other in other times it looks like prayer and um it, yeah so to me it's 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 navigating that dynamic and everything that we do and the way that we operate is from is from love you know so Was there anything else, Chris, that you wanted to? Uh, I mean, uh, no, I don't want to go into too many controversial <laughs> things on the panel, right? <laughs> um, no, I think I think that's it, really. Um, just in regards to that, that was something that just as I was chewing over it, like I said, just did come up, and I just thought I just want to throw that out there because for me, like you say, Joe, that's a that instills a healthy fear, you know, where you go actually, um, you know, uh, jumping ahead a tiny bit. He say, it says. Um, God has set the members, each one of them in the body, just as he pleased. And that, for me, is such a critical piece. It's, it's according to his good pleasure, not mine. You know, it's, no, it's got nothing to do with how I define it. My responsibility and privilege is to come into his way of thinking, not the other way around. Um, and, you know, just, just as I've been um, sort of chewing over the diversity of it, you know, there's a couple of sort of standout stories, you know, because... It would be easy, I think you might have said this before, Sam, to read into this, he's talking about ministry, and and yes, but no, because, you know, some of the, the calls or the, or the functions in people's lives ha- has never looked like ministry as we've ever seen it, you know, when, when you think about the population of the earth in its entirety, it, it's taking that many people to potentially represent Christ in its fullness, you know, because we're all to display a facet or a piece of him, you know, and, and there's a couple of standout ones for me, you know, one of them is, I think it's Eric Liddell, who was not a minister as we might necessarily have called it, but he said in his own words, when I run, I feel his pleasure. I'm like, man, that, you know, um, or, or is it uh, brother, brother Lawrence, you know, I think it's Brother Lawrence who was the guy who was like a dishwasher in the, in the monastery, and he said that washing dishes, he was in this place where heaven met earth, he was encountering Christ and just, and, and yet no one ever read any of his works for hundreds of years because, or, you know, a decent ex- extended period of time, and yet he found his place in Christ, but it didn't look like what anyone else might have decided it should have looked like. Um, yeah, and I, and I bet you there's hundreds of examples of that where. For me, it just, like I say, it brings me back to a, a really healthy place where I go, let it be according to your definition. And that's why we, we pray for eyes to see and ears to hear, not because we can't see naturally or hear naturally, but because we can see naturally and hear naturally. <laughs> I mean, that, that's awesome. And it's so, so key because it comes back to, again, this whole understanding of identity, being found who I am, in whom I am. I know whose I am, Paul says. And so that any one of us here <clears throat> would be able to say the same. You know, the gift makes room for the man, not the other way around. And so am I completely satisfied with you, Christ? I preach nothing other than Christ crucified. Not what I do, how many this or that I can do, but I'm satisfied with you that I might naturally find that I encourage people 
might not again, like I say, you might not ever speak from here and might not have any upfront ministry, whatever, but you might just find yourself functioning in the Holy Spirit with a word of encouragement in the morning or in the evening or on the street for someone. No one else knows except the Holy Spirit who's working through you. But I am completely satisfied with Christ. And that he is the one who raises up and brings you to the place where he wants you to be. And the eyes are on him, not on self. When I think about like the examples of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11 and what their ministry looked like, it was the most like bizarre... Like Noah, Noah built an ark. Abraham left the country he was in and went to another country, and then almost killed his son. Like every every story is so unique and so different, and yet God takes them all and puts them in this book of Hebrews and says, "Hey, here's an example of what ministry looks like." You know, hope for us. Hope for us. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just want to come back to um, Chris. What you. Um, verse that you're talking about before because I feel like there's there's more in that for us to, to look at it says um, but now God has placed the members each one of them in the body just as he desired I thought man what a what a perspective I wonder if we see that God has placed the members in this body and our families and our discipleship groups just as he desired yeah. you know do we do we see one another in that light you know it says who God joins let no one separate talking about marriage but we're also in a covenant with one another you know and so what 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 does that look like not sorry not a, didn't mean to, that to be an abrupt ending but <laughs> um yeah what, what 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 does it what does it mean um you know to what are you to trying to say Sam <laughs> um to see that God has placed us in the body with one another um for me, it um, comes back to the words where, and I'm just having a mental blank right now. I'm going to say it was Jesus that said it. Um, he receives a righteous man, and the name of a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. It was Jesus. Sweet. It was always going to be him anyway. Um, <laughs> um, or whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet receives a prophet's reward. And so when I read that, I go... There are uh, gifts or functions or ministries in this house and in our spheres or in our lives that God has placed there and as he pleased, right? So again, it might not be as we've pleased, like the person that God's come to bring the word that we need to hear won't necessarily be the person that we would have chosen to bring that word. (laughs) Probably not, (laughs) if past experience is anything to go by. And yet, do we have ears to hear what it is that is being said because of our love for the one who has placed that in our lives. Um, Do we recognize the gifts that are in this house? Because it's all very well for a person to identify themselves as as a function or as a to say that they have this on their lives. But unless we recognize that for what it is and and allow that and receive that, it's actually not going to necessarily achieve the result because we will only receive from that person who we allow that person to be. And that next bit develops that a bit further, I think. This is the bit where I say, I don't need you, you're an eye on my hand, I don't need you. Where it says really clearly on that those parts that seem to be weakest are indispensable. 
then it goes on to talk about how God gives them honour. So to me, that speaks of actually, if we judge with our eyes how important we are to each other, we'll miscue a lot. So it's another warning of don't you try and figure out how this all fits together. And if you you are not bringing a word, so you're this important part that brings a word, and you may look a little bit different, so may not really want to receive the word... Um, it's beyond even that so just touching what you're saying that the parts of the body that are not presentable and that we will treat them accordingly and cover them up and and do what we would do in the physical but certainly can't do without them what's that in the family like when there's someone who maybe functions that may not be seen to be cool or right or good or however you want to try and phrase it let me speak of a more excellent way so all of this is about love being formed within the very divine nature of God now being expressed (coughs) is given opportunity to express itself as love when there's opportunity to love unconditionally and will show itself to actually be that love you know, so often we, we would think about God's doing a work in me and he's forming me, he's building me, God, he's building hard. <laughs> and so maybe he's actually done some work. Maybe there's opportunity, having found my rest in Christ, to no longer struggling and striving to do my own works by my own efforts to be built myself, and I've said it before, that picture of the bridge on the wall over there, how do you know that that can take 200 tonnes? You put 200 tonnes on it. Lo and behold, you find that the bridge could actually take 20,000 tonnes. But so for you and for me, how do I know the work that God has done within me until I'm in a situation where love is actually given opportunity to be expressed? And why would perhaps even the opportunity for me to make a choice, I don't choose bitterness and revenge and anger and hatred. I can recognize what that is and I choose, no Lord, I choose a much better way. I choose you. And I I choose a way of love to be expressed. And so then that's opportunity amongst us all, we're all different. Maybe I'm the one that's going to want to call out agape love out of you you know so we can have eyes to see and accept each other it is one body no matter who we are where we fit in how we look how we function one body and the other part of that is no matter how mature in the Lord we are so one thing this doesn't say is I need you until I'm fully mature it says you need each other and I think that's the other trap is just making sure we don't get that heart set of I'm in this context to give and I'm in this context to receive. We all always need each other in the body. And so just touching on what was mentioned before about honour, what, what does it mean to honour one another or honour the gifts on one another as, as well as honouring the person? To me, honour is about looking at other people through the lens of their identity in Christ.
Yeah, I do. I'm just going to casually get my phone out. Um, I've taken notes, but I just wrote down what honour meant. I looked it up today. A valuing by which a price is determined in, in this context. And so, obviously, we're not for sale, but where, what, where does our value come from? You know, what are we valued by? Are we valued by what it is that you do? You know, because going back to the foundation of this whole passage, are we valued by our function? Or are we valued by whose we are, where we belong? Because that's our primary, right? We are, I'm more valuable than anyone can ever pay for because of what's already been paid for me. And the same for each of us. And so for me, I go, you know, I can, I can receive this for myself and that's a, a part of the journey. But part of the journey as well is also receiving that for others so that whether you realise that for yourself or not, I'll treat you like that because I have sight for you where you don't. And so I'll treat you like you're worth in the hope that you'll come to see what you're worth. Um, and so for me, that, that's that same passage again where he says... God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And so initially we make an example of people that are prophets or teachers or pastors, but he doesn't say God set just them in the body as he pleased. He says each one of them. And so that's all of us. That's you, that's you, that's you. That each one of us has been placed in the body because it pleased the Father. And and from that place of identity... We, we live and we flow. Yeah. And I think to me that's uh, that's honour step one and honour step two is that, you know, in seeing the value in one another, we then see the value in one another's gifts and the role that they play to the body, you know. So we're able to s- receive one another just out of people that they are. But then we're also able... To, to, to honour the gift that's on someone, genuinely recognising the value that they add and the value that they play and respond in accordance to the, to the role and the function that they have in the body. Yeah, you know? So just, um, I'm just mindful of time. It would be cool to have some time for questions. Um, does, should we do, um, do a few questions and then we'll do a bit of group discussion here? Eh? Yeah. Cool. Um, does anyone have anyone want to kick us off? Any any questions or thoughts or, or comments from from the evening? Do you think that we can value one another if we don't value ourselves in the body? That's what I was saying right at the start. No man hates his own body, but he looks after it, except for the person who hates himself. (laughs) And so this is something that comes back to the identity. They want to start to recognise, I am judging by an external way of being. Just way back for, for our Saul and for David. You judge by external methods. I look at the heart of man. I look inside. I knit you together. 
You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I've set you apart. I've placed, here's this mystery, the hope of glory, Christ in you, now revealed. I give you value. Not what the world gives value to, but I give you value. I make you invaluable. I make you priceless. Bought and paid for, purchased by the blood of the Saviour. You're mine. And as we start to get and to seek the Lord for revelation on how he sees me, that Jesus says, today is the day. There was yet another today. Another day. It's called today. So today is the day. Don't harden your hearts as they did. <clears throat> Coming out of Egypt, being saved, and being brought into a promised land, land flowing with milk and honey, that they would live in freedom, no longer slaves held captive. It's a typology, a picture. It was lived out by them for us to be able to look back and now and see a spiritual reality of, of me living in the promised land, the promise of God, no longer a slave, but now in freedom. Then if you're in freedom, why are you acting like a slave, Paul? Because it's in your mind. So let that go and enter into my rest, enter into Christ, enter into me, where your identity is found and now you'll discover that you can love yourself as Christ loves you and now you've got a healthy posture to be loving others. I think that's a really <coughs> fantastic question and to me it's the two are exactly the same, you know, to love ourselves and or to honour ourselves and to honour one another, you know, and I think the way that I see it is that like, if God, the, the issue is about revelation and knowing God, right? So if God, if God is love, then everything that He does is is love, right? And so that means that He loves me because of who He is, and not because of who I am, you know. So that to me, that's like that that love then is is for me as much as it is for one another. So the same, it's the same revelation of the love of God that will give you a, a, an accurate and correct perspective of yourself and and one another you know but i think that was fantastic yeah, yeah there's a um, couple of pictures that come to mind there for me one of them is where it says um and this is love not that we loved him but that he loved us and so i feel like a revelation of the father's love is absolutely crucial in that but i feel like the water table when it rises it rises you know that this love isn't for one and not another it's it, it rises across the board um but i feel like uh you know, when you go to the words of Christ, he says, um, love one another like I've loved you. And so he's he's continually pointing to his love for us so that we have a like a, a gauge or something to measure what love looks like. I mean, it's it's massive, you know, how do you measure it? But he's, he says, this is the example and this is what you're worth. And so he's, he's always pointing to the standard of himself. Um, yeah, which I think is critical. Um, just the so that we all are part of one body. What does that actually actually look like? Does that make sense? Practically. Practically. Yeah. Joe, any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Look, I think Ephesians four is a description of what it's meant to look like, and so what Ephesians four describes is. You've got the fivefold gifts, which are the gifts that effectively give the structure to the body. 
And then there's a beautiful passage that talks about how we will all mature into the fullness of Christ as the body builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So I think that's what the, if we were all not just positionally in the body, so we all do belong, but if we were all, it's hard to find a word which doesn't sound performancy. if we were all present, I guess, if we were all standing in that place of belonging, then I think that's what it looks like, which is love. Definitely. And I think we've been talking about like the, the spiritual foundation that underpins everything, but in a, in a practical sense, we've, we've been talking about it and not being about doing works or not about serving, but <coughs> in its fullest expression it is, you know, like, and it has to. So to me, practically, it looks like, Joe said, pe- everyone turning up and being present, being present on a Sunday morning, being present at prayer, it looks like... <laughs> Investing your your time into one another and and um, and fellowship and 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 relationship. It looks like giving. It looks like serving. It look to me. It's it looks like all of those things, but from the right heart and the right motive. You know. Right. So, yeah. And as you can see, the physical functioning right now, and we're, he's always using as it is in the physical, so is it in the spiritual, because he's trying to drive a picture for you to, for us to see. You can see right now some ministry giftings or office giftings outworking. But you don't know my kidney's working just fine right now, (laughs) assuming it is. (laughs) Or other parts of my body that are just functioning away. So, So it is right now, though we might be sitting here speaking, other parts of the body are able to function. They don't have to be up front and see your face speaking or whatever. <clears throat> and so the body is just functioning. And so that we, the sons of God, are led by the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who's ministering. <coughs> and so you'll see there's opportunity for those who have a gifts of help or service or um, ministry or pastoral giftings that are just functioning. And this body, it says there's one head. And we're the body. Christ is the head. And the body is functioning. It doesn't have to... Um, ring up and say, by the way, I need permission to be pastorally caring for somebody. You just pastorally care because it's a gift. And the truth of what, <laughs> me, what we're saying is that when that's of the Spirit, it equally doesn't go, I, oh, I've just pastorally cared for somebody. <laughs> Greg, I've just pastorally cared for somebody. It was pretty cool. Great, Paul, that was fantastic. Thank you. <laughs> Okay, <laughs> I just got my pat on the back, just got my little ounce of recognition. See, it doesn't function that way. Yeah? The kidney's not ringing up saying, hello brain, functioning today. Mind you, it tells you if it's not. <laughs> but you know what I mean? So, so the, the body is at work. And this is where Paul's saying, he says, says what are you doing arguing? What is this? There's no jealousies, there's no arguing, there's no bickering, there's no striving for positions. I'm of Paul, I'm Apollos, I'm of Peter, I'm of... What is this? Come on, you guys. There's a more excellent way. It's a way of love. So love would function and we're all just being in him. And it's, it's natural, supernaturally natural. And do you think that when we're not presently present as Greg would say in the same way that in a natural body when something's not working there's strain in the body so other parts of the body the body won't fall over completely usually but 
you know, the hamstrings will do the work of the lower back if they have to, yeah. but there is strain, so this goes to your flow point, I think, that yeah. there's just an, there would be an ease about it. Yeah. 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 Does that answer your question? Or are you thinking more like actual practical kind of... Um, no, I think that, that does, I think it's just, just trying to kind of get my head around, yeah, kind of... For me, it's just trying to get my head around the, the balance between the spirituality and the practicality of this walking. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah. To me, the balance is, is the heartbeat. It's, it's the operating system. It's where everything comes from, you know? So the disciples in Acts, it says that they sold their properties and gave the money, put the money at the, at, at the apostles' feet, you know? It says that they met every day for prayer and to break bread, you know? And so we could say, what, what does this look like practically what well, it could look like selling your home and giving all of your money and laying it at the apostles feet it could look like meeting every day for for fellowship it could look like prayer it could look like breaking bread but to me the biggest why we're talking about this is that you can do all of those things and like we've been hearing learning about in the morning it profits nothing you know so here's a, an axe to me it was a really real genuine expression of the life of Christ within them that manifested in real practical things and change in, in life. And it has to. Every every time we grow in Christ, it has to outwork itself practically. But I think to me that the connection is that it, it starts in here and then it and expresses itself. So just because I don't has, has anyone here um, sold sold their house and laid the money at Greg's feet in cash, you know, like a suitcase. I don't know. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, whose house <laughs> but you see what I'm saying like yeah. in the Bible we see an, an, a, a practical expression of what this looks like yeah. Yeah. but it might not look like that you know um, yeah. in the same way do you think we can hold all the spiritual knowledge of this stuff but lack the practicality does that make sense? Absolutely. So for me, it's not one at the expense of the other. Yeah. So you read James and he says, what does it profit you if you say to someone who's lacking, be blessed and be filled and don't have any, any ability to meet the practical needs because the guy's genuinely hungry, genuinely needs a blanket or a place to stay and you're going, oh, bless you in the spirit. And he's like, that's great, but I... I'm really hungry and cold right now, you know. Um, and I look at um, the the and the, I think the Book of Acts is a fantastic one because you've got an early church who are who are practically faced with these real issues of how to walk out with in wisdom and righteousness these issues that are turning up every day. And I think there was a one situation where a group of the um, the early church came to the apostles and said, "Our widows are being neglected." And the, the apostles were like, we're on it because this is such a big deal. It's not like, oh, well, pray a little bit harder and something will happen. It's like, no, w- we are the church and we're meeting practical needs. And so you look at um, Stephen, for instance, who was such an example of a man full of the Spirit. Well, his primary function was to, to, serve, and to serve the needs. He, that came out of that question. Um, and so he was one of the seven that were chosen to meet the needs of these widows and he obviously wasn't primarily in that function he was a man who was uh, found in his identity which is why his life looked like he did you know because you know he didn't he didn't really care so much 
when he was being stoned that he wasn't going to be able to meet the needs of the widows anymore. Oh no, who's going to take my place? He's like, I'm found in love. And I not only have love for the widows who I've been serving, I have love for these people that are killing me as well because this level has raised across the board. So, practical answer. And in my mind, you, you can't, it can't be truly spiritual and not practical. You know? and so it can be truly religious and not practical. And I feel like that's, that's what you're saying, you know? that if it stays in that religious realm, if it just stays as, as talk and dialogue and good ideas, then absolutely it will it profits. That, to me, that's the profit, nothing. And this is why the judgment seat is a judgment for works and not for... You, you see what I'm saying? Because it's, um, it's, if, it, if it's truly... a if you come to a revealed knowledge of Christ, you will genuinely become love on the inside and it will have to outwork itself in a real and practical way in every environment that you're part of. But if it's religious, you'll give it a go in one environment but not the other or it'll just sit as an idea and never actually practically outwork itself. You know? So I feel like it's a really good question, Jackie. You know? just, uh, um, it'll come back to what you were saying before too, that... We're not in isolation, so we're not to be in isolation. You know, and that we, in a, in a bigger church environment, you're not going to get to know everybody. So let's not forsake the fellowship together. Why we're to be in discipleship, where those opportunities, are, or it's given opportunity for that to be outworked within us, so that we'll be presently present in our discipleship groups will be presently present at the prayer do you think if we were fully functioning as the body of Christ and we've given honour to those to whom the Father has set in place as apostles, prophets teachers, pastors evangelists within the fellowship when the eldership have heard Father said call my people to pray come pray on Wednesday morning that we would have to hold the prayer meeting out there or in here. See, so it starts having place to actually function, to outwork what is happening within. So denying self, pick up my cross and live in a life that's completely separate to this. Why, will I, why would I go out on stormy Wednesday night to a discipleship group? Because love compels me to. So there's an opportunity that I'm now discovering this religious thing that's going on in my head is actually being confronted. Why? Because he doesn't want you to be living religious activity. He wants you to be surrendered to him, having entered his rest, that now I live in a life of love where these gifts that have been discovered actually have opportunity to outwork. And lo and behold, it happens somewhere else other in my discipleship group and on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday morning or a Sunday evening it happened, I don't know, at the supermarket or at the beach. Why? Because there's the, the Holy Spirit is stirred within me. I'm now living a life of love which has this faith outworking that I don't know why I said something like that to that person at the supermarket but look what happened. Yeah. You know? And it becomes more than just a, something I'm trying to do. It's a life that I'm living. We'll do the last last question. Um, I just want to ask your guys' thoughts on why do you think it is that it says 
um, to give greater honour to the less presentable parts, why aren't we giving greater honour to the more presentable parts if they're more prominent or presentable? Is, wouldn't that be more nat the natural way of things? Why are we giving honour to less presentable parts? Um, so the, the way that I see that, and I'm sure everyone has something else to say, is that the, the following part there, he says, so that there would be no division in the body. So one part isn't worth more than another. To me, that's how I translate that. So he says, um, some parts, like, let's say, for instance, oh, no, I don't have this issue, but doing your hair. You know, you, know you, you spend a bit of time doing your hair, right? But you don't spend uh, much time doing things that you can't see. Let's see. I didn't have a pedicure before I came here tonight, let's say that. You know, because no one would know, right? Um, Tell the truth, come on. <laughs> for me, I, I see that this... nail polish? <laughs> for me, I see this like, like building a house, and there's this joke that we have as builders where we say, you know, people come over to a new house and they go, oh, the paint colours look great, the, this part looks great, and it's all the things that they can see. No one ever compliments the foundations. No one ever compliments the floor it's good. framing. It's good, mate. It's no good. one ever talks about it's the insulation good. in their walls. But it is as necessary as anything else because all these things that are dressed up have no ability to be seen without what's behind them. And so I feel like in God's economy, he goes, um, so, so let's just uh, translate that into my own life. Bella's at home tonight looking after five kids, holding the fort. You know what I mean? And it's her turn to be here tonight. And she wants to come because she loves being here. And she's okay with it. So it's not like, you need to be at home, Bella, so that I can be here. She's like, if you're called to be there, I'm, I'm happy to serve and look after the kids and I'll miss my turn. And yet, the way that it could look on the surface is, oh, yay, Chris, you're somebody for talking. Well, actually, in God's economy, he says, yay, Bella, you're someone at home doing the thing which is unseen which is so valuable to me because without that you don't get this it's brilliant and I love that you know that you walk into the house and you go look at that paint it's looking, the house is looking amazing you know it's, it just looks so flash it's awesome you know the reality is I mean in the building game itself the um, doing what you're not supposed to do is climb up the climb up the framework on the on the nogs or dwangs if I should use a ladder but anywho I knew a guy once <laughs> stands on the on the nog between the studs and the whole thing collapses because the nails hadn't gone through the centre they just only barely had made it through the top so hidden <coughs> so you couldn't see until somebody stood on it <coughs> it wasn't me Poor guy ended up with a big gouge right up his leg because, anywho, it got discovered. What if all the frames are put together like that? And as it is in Wellington, there's occasion where it might go like this. And then we discovered that these things, which would appear less important, actually become very important indeed. And they're no longer holding the house up, and which we decided weren't very much value or, or honour or needed suddenly became very important and so when we all function as who we are in him the way we're meant to be in him lo and behold the house stays firm and solid and secure because it has been built by 
God, by Christ, I will build my church. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, used to foundationally build up the church and put the walls up, put the roof on, so that the rest of the body can, can function within the ministry giftings that are given birth and given opportunity to function now because the house has not been built <clears throat> according to me and according to what I needed to be identified in and according to the ministry that I am building. It turns out to be a house of cards, but it turns out to be a house that's built on the solid rock Christ himself so that as the gifts are now flowing from the people who know their identity in Christ, this is the work that God is doing in this house. For years he's been building, smashing down foundations that have been incorrectly laid, mindsets that have been built and put God's name on it that are not of his. So as he's broken down those mindsets, broken down those ancient walls, reset the foundation on the apostles and the prophets with Christ as a chief cornerstone, <coughs> allowing the walls to be built, the roof to come on, allowing opportunity for people to be built and for gifts to be released so that they can minister no longer looking for an identity but knowing my identity and in whom I am ministering. Amen. 